Welcome to the ASAP Club mini podcast series. I'm Jennifer Schwartz, the lucky one who gets to interview outstanding mentors and founders about the entrepreneurial journey. I'm a learning specialist and leadership trainer, and also a proud alum of the Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship Master's Program at LSE. This series is intended to accompany the digital toolkit filled with highly curated practical tools and resources to jumpstart your venture. Welcome to the episode, Is Your Pitch Perfect? Whether you're applying to an accelerator, fundraising for investment, or simply communicating with your network about your venture, you will need to tell your story, convince others of why you, and demonstrate the value add of your idea. In this episode, we get two excellent perspectives on pitching and storytelling. We discuss why and how you should think about your pitch like you are telling a story, and what to be sure to include in your pitch. We speak to Kiran Arokisami, Program Manager of the Aspect Accelerator, who has reviewed many pitch decks in his time, and also to Lior Shoam, internationally recognized storytelling coach who works with many startups and CEOs to deliver memorable and effective pitches. To date, Kieran has supported and advised well over 200 founders and innovative academics in building technology companies of the future. He has spent the past five years working with cutting-edge technology companies across 12 startup accelerators and corporate innovation programs. Thanks, Kieran, so much for joining us to talk about perfecting your pitch. Thank you for having me. I'm also here today with Lior Shoam, based in Tel Aviv, Israel. Lior is the founder and CEO of Lior Shoam LTD, an international learning and development consultancy. I'm honored to have you join us, Lior. You're one of the top experts in storytelling across Israel. So can't wait to learn from you on how to use storytelling to perfect your pitch. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. You specialize in storytelling and you work with a lot of startups and entrepreneurs. Tell us, how is storytelling an essential part of entrepreneurship? Storytelling is important because in a sense, storytelling for entrepreneurship is like a bridge. It bridges the belief gap between what the entrepreneur knows for a fact that could be and what investors and potential partners believe that could be. You see, the entrepreneur's job is to dream big and to motivate people, lead them from point A to point B. Other people's job is to be skeptic. Like, how are you going to achieve this? Why haven't anyone done it so far? And if you can't convince them with your story, they won't follow you anywhere. So in a sense, the art of storytelling creates connectivity between the entrepreneur and his followers. Any investor on a planet ever went home at the end of the day and told his significant other, I have to tell you a slide. They come home and say, I have to tell you a story. When you use PowerPoint, you sometimes you lose all your power and you make no point. But when you tell a story, it resonates for longer and others can tell it for you. So if that investor didn't invest, he can tell that story to someone else. I love that. You don't remember the slide. You don't say, I got to tell you more about this one slide. But nonetheless, many entrepreneurs still have to tell their story via slides in a pitch deck. So how can you integrate storytelling into a startup pitch? And let's start with the part that's a PDF form. Where's the space for storytelling in a PDF pitch deck? Well, I also coach people to give TED Talks. I would say 90% out of all TED Talks. You would hear the storyteller at some point 
ask a rhetorical question. So at that point, we asked ourselves, how can we scale this? At this point, we asked ourselves. So why am I telling you this about a pitch deck? Here, I just ask you a rhetorical question because you can use it in the middle of your slide. So you go another the market analysis and, and, and landscape and future KPIs and roadmap. But why does it all matter? So all of a sudden you just have this clean slide and you say, but why does it all matter? So who are we targeting? And just imagine from the point of view of the investor, they scroll through thousands of these. Some of these times, probably when they're sitting at the toilet, let's be honest. And all of a sudden, one of those slides that ask a really short yet powerful question really spikes up attention. So I would highly recommend using one clean slide with a clean question to boost up attention and to tell the investor, oh, what I'm going to talk about now is scaling. That's a great tip to change up this flow of the slide deck and make it a little bit more interesting. So Kiran, what do you think are the key components of telling a good startup story? It's a really interesting question and one that I've definitely faced myself in my own little ventures, but also when working with loads of different founders and figuring out the right way to sculpt that story it should really come from the founder's journey to where they are today. So my first advice is really reflecting on the different parts of how you've built your business and the conversations you've had with your customers and leveraging that to give you insight on how does your story look. As a founder at the really early stage, you are the protagonist of your story, right? You're trying to explain how you have come to change the world and fix this problem. The second thing is you need to explain the problem. The problem is the antagonist of your story. It's the reason that you're trying to battle something and fix something. And what I think a lot of founders overlook is the importance of making sure that everyone who is receiving your story understands what that problem is in a really concise and well thought out way. On the other side of the table, a lot of founders put their customers front and center. So uh, another really interesting approach that you can take is when they really help the audience, the, the person who's receiving the pitch, empathize with a customer who feels that pain. The interesting thing about using a customer, and especially when it's quite ambiguous, is that anyone who has also experienced that pain or that problem can put in the shoes of that person. And it brings a real sense of immediacy and urgency to the pitch. I understand where that person has been where that customer has been, and I'm really excited to hear more about the solution. For me, it's all about setting up that really exciting and juicy part of the story at the beginning. Absolutely. Now, Lior, I want to ask you, what elements make for a great startup pitch? Wow, that's a very good question. I would say the sweet spot between what people ache what you're specializing at doing. And I say specializing it because not just your solution, but what makes you that specific team to accomplish this meeting. And answering that question, if the idea is so good and the market is so perfect, how come no one has ever done it before? And obviously there's many other things, traction and call to action and influence methodologies, but A, show me a real pain. And I'm not talking about a problem. Problem aims for the head, pain aims for the gut. So show me a real pain that people are willing to pay. Show me there's a solution that is a good match. Show me that your team is perfectly positioned to meet that problem. And give me that edge, that secret sauce, that secret spice. How come no one has ever done it successfully so far? What is it that you came up with that will make it different. How come Google is not going to do it first? So what is it that you found that puts you in that unique position 
that will elevate this whole thing. The rest we can fix. I can get you product specialists, I can get you R&D teams, we can outsource that, that, that. So now let's imagine a live pitch and you're standing in front of an investment panel or judges. Where is the best place to integrate storytelling? Should it be in the opening or in the middle or should you close with a story? Is there a specific recipe that someone can follow? There are recipes, but just like recipes, they should serve as the base for your authentic story. When I coach entrepreneurs for Demo Day with tech stars, and they're all like, oh, I've been watching TED Talks. I want to lead with a story. If you watch a lot of TED Talks or if you watch a lot of Demo Days and you watch them one after the other, all just the videos. So all of a sudden, it looks like all reality occurred last week because every presenter begins with last week. I was going with my daughter. And so I'll tell you a hint. It didn't happen last week. Someone once told me they don't have a daughter. But I don't like the concept of always leading with a story. It is a good methodology and I recommend it when it's relevant. So I'll give you an example. We worked with a startup that reduces sales cycle time for enterprises, which everyone wants to sell more faster. And they come and they show us their algorithm and the AI and the whatever that no one cares about at the beginning. But after working with us, they started their pitch this way. They say, company X is one of our clients. Before they joined us, their average sales cycle was close to two years. Today, it's less than eight months. This is exactly what my company does. My company significantly reduces sales cycle times for enterprises. And if you'll give me five minutes of your time, I promise to tell you exactly how we do it. So a good way to incorporate a story into a pitch is when you have good traction, do a before and after without a middle. And that gets people's attention. Get the beginning, you get the end, but like, wait, what happened in the middle? Well, that's my pitch. So you're just saying enough to tell them what we're talking about it and why should you care, but you don't say enough for they totally understand it. That creates curiosity. It sounds like using teaser sentences wisely, kind of hook lines, as opposed to telling a full arc of a story. Exactly. I once listened to a podcast and they interviewed Harlan Coben. He says, listen, a missing person is more interesting than a body. If there's a body, somebody's dead, you just got to solve it. But if someone's missing, there's still hope. And there's a missing piece of the puzzle. And that evokes curiosity within your listeners to try and keep on finishing the puzzle and completing it. And I call this the subtle art of leaving things out. And it's an art. It's not a science. And that's what we help companies do all around the world. It has a lot of science and it has a lot of how-tos and methodologies and if-thens. But at the end, you got to sprinkle some of your personal magic into it. So my next question for Kiran is, what is the most important part of the pitch deck which should not be missed? I don't think there's any core bit that if you missed, someone would challenge you on. Of course, there are probably about 10 expected things to be in any pitch deck, which is why I probably don't like decks that are more than 10 slides. I'm also just a bit impatient. And I think you should be able to succinctly explain these things. The three things I'm looking for, it's people, it's product, and it's market. So it's people, it's the team. There should be an appreciation for here's my experience, here's why I'm legit, and here's why my team is going to make this work. Whether it be we have the basic technical competencies, we have the network or the understanding of the customer problem, or we have a differentiator in some way. I think team is so important, and I've seen that in many of the programs that I run before. Then you have your product, and the way you pitch the product, it needs to be really problem-centric. 
So it's not as simple as saying, here's this amazing piece of technology we have, and here's why VR is the solution to this thing. It's showing a really comprehensive understanding of your problem by the way you've built and where your product stage is at now. And then lastly, it's the market wearing a pretty big investor hat at that moment. This needs to be a big enough problem. There needs to be enough customers. There needs to be a potential room to expand. You're looking for that ability to have a huge trajectory of growth. And so that's such an important part to it. Otherwise, this is a business proposal or a business deck. From my experience, I think the team is so important because it's that thing that's there at day one, before there's any tech, before there's a real understanding of the market and a real understanding of customers, you need good people. And so if there's something missing and I'm scratching my head, like what's going on, probably it's going to be team. So you said people, product, and market. What are the different ways to prove it or to show it that there's market traction? Is it numbers? What's most convincing? So... In a deck, the idea of evaluating a market and then subsequently your traction, there's a couple of industry norms. So you have your market bubble size, and that's using calculations often known as total addressable market, total obtainable market, total serviceable market. And these are just very big numbers, and often they are in multiples of billions now. In terms of what startup traction looks like, it's usually customer testimonials, and the numbers are a lot smaller, because really what you've done here in the early days is you validated an idea. You validated your hypothesis. We're going to make X easier. Y is going to happen, and, and we'll be able to capitalize on that, monetize that, build a business around that. And so what I encourage early stage founders to do is not massively embellish their markets. A good investor or, or a good audience member will see the story happening. We don't necessarily have to know exactly how it's going to end, but hopefully we're going to see a, a really big market there. And so what I think is really important is to focus on the individual use cases. If you're in a business to business context and say, here's why we're adding value to customer X. Here's what customer X has said. And here's the interactions and engagement that they've showed us. And then on a business to consumer side, if you're selling a product to individuals, you really need to show a little bit more substance than here is how we sell to one individual. It's more like, here's how I can sell to a hundred at a time. And here's how I'll go to market. It actually plays a much more important role in traction because it shows how we can scale up and reach more people with a little bit more funding and finance. It definitely speaks to how do you convince that there's traction in your idea? What I would say is make it obvious that somebody doesn't need to ask the question, what are you doing? So often I look at a pitch deck and I say, wait, what are they doing? What is this about? What are they trying to solve? Because for the entrepreneur, they're so deeply connected and it's so obvious to them, but to somebody's unfamiliar eyes, they might miss it. It seems obvious, but I think for a founder who has a million things on their mind, it's always great to put it first and foremost. Someone called that the curse of knowledge especially mm. for deeply technical founders and for very technical products. It's about that conciseness and your ability to articulate that in a really simple way, whether it be a very young person, a very old person, a person with a PhD or a person who hasn't gone to any formal education needs to have a very fundamental understanding. It's so important that everyone from that first slide, exactly as you said, understands what you're doing. Definitely. So that leads to my next question, which is what are some common mistakes that you see in pitches? Maybe we've already mentioned one. What else have you seen? The buzzword bingo that I play with some of my team, when are people sprinkling it in unnecessary stuff or highly overestimating their technical competencies because they think if I put blockchain here or if I put machine learning here, it's going to make this idea, this business, this model more exciting. And most of the time, the average accelerator manager or investor can just see through it because they see a lot of decks. Common mistakes I've seen a lot is messing up the structure people putting key parts of their story in the wrong order. It's like if you had chapters out of line mm. when you're reading a book and unfortunately you don't have the numbers to help you with that. 
And so you think it's good, but it's not my job as an accelerator manager or anyone reviewing a story to have to rejig the chapters before reading it. And we just won't do that. So you might have a really interesting business. You might have a really cool market, but if you really messed up the order to that story, it makes it really difficult for me to get onto the same page as you. And so especially if I'm viewing a pitch deck and about to ask questions to a founder, the founder wants to have the opportunity to answer really important and relevant questions to their business. They don't want to re-explain stuff that they've already just pitched to you. And so it, it makes them feel uncomfortable. It makes you feel uncomfortable as the audience member. And overall, it doesn't help us get to a result. Can you lay out for us? Yeah. What's the ideal order of telling the startup story? I will caveat this and say there is not one specific way. Your story needs to be told in the way that it needs to mm. be told. So that being said, I'm going to have an order here because it's the one I always give as a default. However, if your team is amazing, then you should put that front and center. And if the team is the differentiator, yeah. then that needs to be front and center. If the market has fundamentally changed and that's what's creating this new innovation that's making an opportunity for you, that needs to be front and center. So it's about kind totally. of balancing the norms of what's really important to your story and how you're telling it, but also what's expected. So the bog standard I give to everyone is what's the problem? Start really, really simply. Here is an issue that people face. Then you go into that solution stage. We are solving it by doing this. Usually the way it goes is here are the three big problem statements, like it's expensive, it takes time, and the current solutions don't work in the market. And then you have three solution statements of we've built something that is really cheap, it works really effectively, and it integrates with great APIs, for instance. You then have to break that down and kind of justify how you've done that. So potentially following a solution slide, you'll have a product that might have some mock-ups or some type of demo. Then I would move over to a market slide similar to the one I described before, where it's just for some reason there's multiples of billions on the slide and it says, here's how much money is spent tackling this problem. And for me, that helps the audience validate this problem. So even if I don't know a lot about the renewable energy sector or the alternative protein industry or the educational technology market in a specific geography, I have now been told it's worth X many millions of pounds or billions of pounds. Moving on from then, business model. Now I know how big the problem is. I need to understand how you're trying to capture some of that value, price yourself in this world of multi-billion dollar problems and say, we are going to charge a subscription model. We are going to license the software. We have built a comprehensive hardware solution that provides X value on a recurring basis. And here's how we charge our customers. I think it's really helpful. This is depending on who you're pitching to, to include some type of slide on here's how we're different. And that goes in tandem with who else is doing this. Following the point on common mistakes, I absolutely despise it. When someone says something like, we have no customers, it just shows a real lack of maturity and awareness in your market. So there needs to be something saying, here's how people are solving that problem today. Here's some logos, here's some companies. And in tandem with that, you observing an opportunity in the market. So here's our mm -hmm. competitors today. Here's our adjacent or here are our direct competitors. And here's how we're going to beat them. And so you put it into the flow, here's the competitor slide and here's the differentiation slide. And I like it coming after the business model because it, it's a nice break in the whole, the problem solution product model. Final three slides, you have somewhat of a go-to-market. Here's our strategy to acquire customers or users, mm -hmm. whether that being a B2B or a B2C. Here's our team. As I said, it's really amazing, but most of the time in a really early stage startup, unless you have a founder who's made an exit or worked for a reputable company for a while, it's difficult to really sell that story. And so you really need to think about how you're positioning that. And then lastly, your traction, your milestones. And the reason I like that at the end is because usually it's a really punchy slide. So even if your milestones are massive, even if your traction is massive, we have a thousand pre-orders, we have this great stuff. Like it's really nice to end a story on a high. You have your protagonist who has conflict and resolution and the resolution is we're going to be an amazing business. And hopefully that's when those numbers can come in. So traction is what you've achieved already. 
Traction is what you achieved already. Milestones is what you're going to achieve. So here's our future timeline, for instance. So in speaking about the ideal pitch, you mentioned different pitches for different purposes. And here we're talking in the context of applying to accelerators. You've worked with plenty of accelerators with that hat on. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about the difference between a pitch deck that is tailored for an accelerator versus a pitch deck that would be tailored towards investors. At its core, you could potentially pass with the same deck, but it depends on the accelerator model as well. Some accelerators are actually investors and they have an arm that gives capital to startups when they're on the program. So that's important to keep it in mind. If you're going for a non-equity program, you don't have to lean so much into the financial forecasting or clear milestones of how we're going to take this forward because the average accelerator appreciates you're going to pivot, you're going to change. They just need to have a really simple document that outlines where your business is at and what you're trying to achieve. The average investor is putting in substantial capital into a business that's a very high risk situation. And so most investors need that deck to filter out who do they want to spend time and get to know a little bit better. From that perspective, you need to over-index in a couple of those slides. Investors don't often really care about 10 slides. They have a real specialism. There's something that they like to invest in. Build a deck for the right investor for your business. If you're an educational company, you need to be able to show and demonstrate really clearly how you're going to get it into schools or get it into the hands of parents or get it into the hands of, of children and young people in a learning capacity. You don't send the same CV into every company. And I don't think you should send the same investor deck into every investor. If your initiative is a social impact business, where is the space within the pitch deck to highlight the impact that your business is making? And what aspect of talking about impact is critical to include in the pitch deck? Great question. Once again, it's a lovely contextual answer. If you were building a business where social impact is highly centric to what you're doing and how you operate and every step of the way, then there should be some social reference in every step of it. If it's your problem statement, that's really social. Like you're potentially tackling an issue faced by people with disabilities and you're helping make a service more accessible, for instance, then the product itself and the problem are really deeply social. And I think that's probably the easiest way to really convey that to people who aren't members of that customer group and demographic. And I really encourage founders to get audiences really up to date with their social beliefs by who they're working for, what are they trying to solve and how they're solving it. The other side that I think is really, really effective is in that traction slide. You need to really think about the, the impact metrics and how you're monitoring that. How do you know your work is actually making the world a better place? Because you can't just say social impact, right? And there's loads of companies that by existing, the secondary and tertiary effects are that the world becomes a bit of a better place, which I'm all for. But you need to really think about how you're positioning it and how you build your brand around that narrative too. It's not as simple as the average commercial business, which is just problem solution market. Here's how we make money. So another point in tandem with that traction is our business model. How in making money do we make positive impacts and contributions? I remember a couple of diagrams. On the left side, you have your customers. On your right side, you have the business. And through enacting value by virtue of their product or their service, there are positive outputs and they can graphically display those. And I think that's a really helpful way of helping the audience understand, okay, I see the stakeholders, I see the exchange of value, and I see the impact. So in addition to demonstrating the impact and value in your pitch, it's also important to tell the story of why you. Investors want to know why should you be the one at this time to create this business? I coached the Techstars cohort back in 2016. And Liron Rose, a legendary investor here in Israel, he has a few exits as an entrepreneur himself. And today as an investor, he was the CEO of Techstars Israel. He kicked off the session. There were like 500 top investors in Israel came to see the first ever Barclays Bank accelerator in Israel. He said, I look around this room and I see Israel's top investors. If you are a top investor, you're probably sitting in this crowd. And you all know what I know, that investors invest in three things. 
teams, teams, and teams. And I'd like each and every one of you to relax because we picked for you 10 teams out of 500 applicants. So you have the best teams in Europe. So forget about that. Just look at the product market fit, about the problem, about the solution, about the business, because the team, we got you covered. These are the best teams. Don't worry about that. And everyone's like, wow. And that's it. He got off the stage. Liron was brilliant. So basically what happened was he says the part that most investors look for, which is a great team, forget it. Just look at the product, listen to the story that they're telling about why should you care about their product and join their journey. That's exactly what he said, because we took care of it. We screened the best teams. Amazing. I'm going to finish with a question that we ask every interviewee. The entrepreneurial journey is composed of many steps. Which step towards growing a successful venture do you think is most important and why? Building stronger relationships. Building stronger relationships, that is the most important thing because whatever you're lacking in technology, funds, knowledge, time, resources, roof over your head, food for your team, it does not matter. Relationship could be the remedy for everything you're looking for. And just like any other asset, you need to invest in it and you need to work at it and you need to give it tender love and care. Otherwise it'll die. So relationships do not sustain themselves. And if I had to choose one thing is focus on relationships, the rest will follow. Totally, such a good reminder. Same question to you, Kieran. I think the most important step is talking to customers. Having that first conversation with a customer who will hopefully eventually be a paying user and asking the unbiased questions and really structuring the feedback and capturing that insight is a really, really important step that not nearly enough founders do regularly enough. They'll do it and they'll appreciate it as a phase of their founder journey and then they'll stop and they'll go and build and they won't come back. They'll just keep going and going and going. And the only time they'll go back is when they want to present something. I don't see the, the position of you and a customer as something you should come back to them and present this finished product. It's a constant evolution of awareness and understanding of a person's pains, struggles, and issues. The bit that really separates a lot of founders is falling in love with that process of going back to customers and understanding more and more about them, more and more about the struggles and the reasons that they are struggling, and then leveraging that to create products and solutions that fix that. But if you don't revisit this, if you do it and then move on, it can be really, really detrimental down the line. And that's why I say it's one of the most important steps, if not the most important step. Wow, such great perspectives and insights from both of you, Kieran and Lior. Thank you for your time and for joining us. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. If you haven't yet, check out the digital toolkit, which includes a short list of practical tools on this topic. The website is bit.ly slash ASAP toolkit. That's bit.ly slash ASAP toolkit. Don't forget to capitalize the ASAP. The resources are out there and you have plenty of people to support you along the way. And as always, we're cheering you on. <laughs>